Hello, everyone. I'm Salim Ismail. Welcome to the Salim Ismail podcast. Uh, we are here today with Nicole Dreisky, and I'm super excited about what Nicole is doing because she's actually solving the education problem. And I'm going to color it in a couple of ways. But first of all, welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Salim. Such fun to be here with you, looking into the future in ways that we don't usually attempt to do. I love it. Absolutely. And and you're driving that future. So I'm super excited. The To cut to the chase, what you've solved, Nicole, as I understand it, is the dilemma of parents and kids dealing with digital devices and the built-in addiction that comes with digital devices. The natural tendency for a parent is to say, ban the device which sets up tension. And you've kind of gone, what do you mean ban it? That's too hard of a problem. Uh, hack that channel and use it to create, uh, solve literacy, uh, uh, constructive thinking, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the part I want to delve into. Um, why don't we start with uh, your background and how it led to this? Because I think this is so important to understand the context of how you got here. You know, I spent the first 20 years looking at an interdisciplinary approach for peak performance. And I was doing it for adults all over the world. 8,000 single-space typewritten pages on the long- Damn it, my whole thing went bluey. Hold on, Nicole, I've got a blip. Wow. The VHS. Hold oh, on, really? Hold on. I just blipped out completely That's okay. all of that. Um, we can. Let's do we it can again. Start over. Yeah, let's start that question again. Okay. Um, start with your background. Uh, over to you. 20 years were spent integrating brain body exercises into peak performance disciplines for adults. We had kids in and out of those programs and early on teachers were saying children who have had this workshop learn better than children who have not. Fast forward, I take on the conundrum of kids and screens because at that point with the advent of the VHS, repeat viewing started to impact the way children were creating identity, Salim, hmm. the way they were interacting in the classroom. It was devastating and nobody even noticed it. I want you to think about it this way. It's our vanity that stops us from understanding that if a child watches anything 150 times, repeat viewing becomes behavioral programming and identity building. And that, let's just call it bolder, rolled into our culture without anybody paying a whole lot of attention to it, except teachers who were frantic about things like, and this was early in the 80s, loss of empathy, inability to concentrate for more than 15 seconds at a time. There was an entire pantheon of developmental problems that came up because repeat viewing is very dangerous in early childhood. So I taught that workshop, Salim. That was the, hey, the sky is falling. You're right. Here's what to do about it. That was right. that workshop. But hold on. So, Let me go back for a second. When you say you're teaching human adults peak performance, 
Uh, talk about the techniques you're using to get that across at the time, because I think that'll be useful information later on. Well, Salima, that was starting way, way, way back in 1975. There were 13 separate and distinct physical and vocal techniques, which were applied in a seven-level system. So people went up through that system, and it was designed, it culminated in a, oh gosh, let's, let's, try to be a little more modest about this we were we were looking for a way to explain the human ability to multitask and we developed a technique called matrix and multiplicity now salim this is way before computers sure <laughs> this, is, this is in the 80s so matrix we're the matrix and the multiplicity are all the things that we are capable of connecting to understanding converting into action converting into outcomes as a human being we were exploring human technology and that was that 8,000 pages typewritten single-spaced on the laws governing an interdisciplinary approach to peak performance as it tends toward accelerated learning. And so what happened after all those years of taking groups through that that uh, seven level system is that I noticed they got smarter. And that the, the kids, the the kids were learning out. faster also. Ah, now we, we I, totally separate programs for kids and adults. The adults got the full on <laughs> 13 technique, seven level system. For children, I pulled out things like micro movements, articulation exercises, and hand play. And I applied them in very simple ways, uh, which would, in every classroom, elevate concentration and learning outcomes. It was the the last thing that I expected. I mean, full disclosure, Salim, I was dragged kicking and screaming into applying these techniques to kids. It was 1977. It was one of the worst, ugh, still incredibly challenged parts of the Chicago area. They locked us in the room with kids and looked through a window. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. These were wow. seventh graders. And the what we found out was that there was a chasm between the body and the mind that was institutionalized in then 20th century and now 21st century education. And you cannot, a child is a whole and holistic entity. By segregating physical energy from learning, you're depriving their minds of better blood oxygen levels, of more neuron-to-neuron uh, -neuron connections of better neural network development. So that's hmm. the process that we started, or that I started actually now, back in the 70s. Now, yeah. one thing I know about your background is you built up a media collection, uh, ah. right, of the what I think was the largest so, collection of children's media in the world. It was, it's a little beyond that, it was for, for adults. What, what happened was the 20 years of interdis interdisciplinary exploration of human technology, that was that. And then I moved over into trying to solve the conundrum of kids and screens. Because again, the dangers of repeat viewing were one thing. And secondarily, in the early 80s, Selene, look at what was on television. We had an incredibly diverse group of 
human beings in America, in North America, and all of the media was for Caucasian kids. Hmm. There were almost there was almost no diversity, and what was there was so skewed that it was not aspirational or representative. So I I decided to wrestle with that by starting the first children's film festival in the Americas. Ran it for 30 years, uh, had thousands of directors, films in and out. But what made that the cauldron for developing Screen Smart was that you couldn't just come to the festival to watch a movie, you had to learn how to watch a movie. Now tell me, were you born knowing how to read a book? No. no. So what were some of the things you had to learn in order to read? We would do the how to watch a movie with your mind awake, priming before every single screening. You couldn't just come to the festival to watch a movie. And what happened, Salim, what was the huge call to responsibility? Two things. One, we were extremely rigorous about evaluation. And so when you think of 28,000 kids, do you know how many teachers that is? It's close to 800 teachers. Every teacher was given an evaluation to send us. Out of those 8,000, we got 40% back. That's unheard of. That's a mm, lot. Yeah. And out of that 40%, 82, 82% of teachers said that this one-off event improved critical thinking. Well, that was the first gong I heard. Yeah. The second let me, was let the me American... Just re, let me just repeat that yeah, for a second. Sure. So you're running a children's film festival. 8,000 kids go to it. 28,000. 28,000 kids go to it. 800 teachers yeah. respond, and 82% of them say that this one event had a positive learning impact on the kids. It's just a and, staggering yes. number. Okay. It was, it was staggering to us... And what was even more staggering in, in Chicago, getting children out of schools that were sometimes on lockdown to go to movies, <clears throat> unheard of. Hmm. Excuse me, I have to take a, take a sip of water. While you're, while you're doing that, the, <clears throat> uh, I, I went to one of your events in, at the BAM Film ah, different ones. Yes, right. yes. I, um, I have and, festivals all over the world. And so there's something you said I want to drill into a second. You, there's a really important analogy here where you're saying in order to watch a movie, you need training just like you need to learn when you read. What are the components of film literacy or media literacy? Uh, just for my own benefit, so that I'm watching a movie, sure. I can bring some sure. love to figure. I'm sure our readers would be interested. What are the components of that? What's what's fun about it, Salim, is is that we don't use the language you just used. <laughs> when I say, were you born knowing how to read a book? It's playful. Yeah. When I say, well, you can't just come to the festival and watch a movie. Maybe we have to learn how to watch a movie. There's so many parts to a movie, just like there are parts to a book. And so we then you unpack that. Well, what are some of the things? Okay, so are we in a book? We see, what do we see? And I let them tell me it's all Socratic interact words, words on a page. Okay, and the words form what? Sentences, and the sentences have what? Meaning, it tells stories. Well, when the movie goes on, are there sometimes going to be words? Yes, Mr. Nicole, they're going to be subtitles. Okay, so words, but will there be another kind of word? Yes, of course, people will be. So that's one kind of meaning, but there's another kind. What's the other kind of meaning? that we're going to get with the other 
way we are going to make meaning from watching is going to be from the screen. pictures on the screen, from the screen and the pictures that are on the screen. So here's the thing. For we can't just watch. We're going to use something that no one else uses because we want to make sure we know what's getting into our minds. Okay? Because where does the movie go? It comes out. Yeah. Does it just hit, hit the back wall? Where does it go? Goes goes in here. Oh, you've gone away. No, no, that, that's just my camera turning off. Ah. Keep speaking. I'm going to subtly <laughs> turn it back on. That's why the I'm in the other screen. On the, it's mostly on you. So no problem. We, Take we your time. It that way. But go ahead. So uh, we're going to use something no one else. We're going to use our energy, and then we ask them what energy is, and then we're going to use our concentration we ask them what concentration is we're going to talk about keeping our minds awake and then when we're watching at the end we're going to be talking about it so we have to think about what we like what we don't like and why so i did not do it the way i would do it for 400 children but it's energy concentration mind awake and we're thinking what we like what we don't like and why so are and you, at are the you end, teaching you're going to talk these, about it are you teaching oh, these yes. gestures as part the of the whole program? time you know that in in teacher uh training it's they're called uh, tprs a total physical response. And I didn't know that that educators had a term for it. We call them brain-body exercises. We are linking intellectual constructs to physical movements and thereby, again, elevating heart rate, getting blood oxygen levels improved. Right. By integrating the this physicalization of learning constructs into every lesson, get better outcomes right it's an incredibly simple way to overturn and mitigate the tendency for everything in a classroom to be sedentary when you're learning hmm. okay can i just go sideways just for a second go sideways when when we were building at singularity university we had uh, a fellow called dan berry who was a nasa astronaut and he was hmm. programming robots um and he was teaching robots to answer the door and, and pay the pizza guy etc etc and he got into what was why certain things had brains and didn't have brains and what was the purpose of a brain and how would you think about that from a robotic context and he was talking to his wife about this and she's like she turned out to be a neuroscientist and she's like well duh and she took him outside she said show me the things that have brains and what's the difference between things that have brains like squirrels or mice or birds and the things that don't have brains like trees or grass um and he, he puzzled over this for a while and she said, duh, things that have brains move around in the world. And the only reason to have a brain is to physically interact yeah. with the world in a meaningful way, like I've just done with my, my headset. Um, and so, uh, and he found this amazing example of an animal called a sea squirt, um, mm. which is in its larval form will run around the floor bottom feeding. And then it grows into an adult, plants itself on a rock and filter feeds from that on. And at that point, the the first thing it does when it does it, it eats its own brain because it's never going to need it anymore. And the, oh, the, amazing. Point, the point is that our brains are completely geared for physical movement. And so I think this is a really important point that you're making. With sitting in a classroom and not moving is completely antithetical to learning. You learn by the physical gesture, which is what you're teaching the kids. And Salim, 
that the well-intentioned experiments in letting chaos reign in the classroom and letting everybody run and do things on it, which is fine, which is fine, but segregating that <laughs> so that there's never a reason to control it and channel it, segregating that from learning is wrong, just considering its own separate area of learning. Of course, it's separate area of learning. Of course, it's good and healthy, but always segregating it is a huge problem. And it, again, results in the learning being sedentary. So um, that process of taking, it must have been half a million kids through how to watch a movie with your mind awake was changed when the American Academy of Pediatrics sent doctors to our early childhood screenings. Hmm. And one of them said, you are changing brain chemistry around screen use. And I thought, wow. everybody needs to be able to do that, not just somebody priming kids to watch festival movies better. Is there a way to take this 20 years of experience and then hark back to the those accelerated learning techniques of my first 20 could we put those things together but salim i promise i didn't just sit down and and try and develop it what i did was spend two years talking to parents and teachers because you can't just come in and say hey i've got the solution you don't you don't have the solution you have to know what they want yeah. so the question that i asked them was what does a great relationship to technology look like to you, for your children, parents and you? What does it look like to you? What do we want from that? Because if you remember 10, 11 years ago, it was another iteration of the sky is falling, the sky is falling, everything that kids do with screens is dangerous to them, is really, and it keeps going on and on and on. And we know that those dangers are real, and we know that the outcomes are right. ominous, and we, but and I, for one, am not going to say, oh, screens are here to stay. We just have to put up with it. No. Here's what I say. We have human technology. Education isn't developing human technology. We're not activating it in order to learn. Let's activate human technology and co-teach it alongside screen use. You'll, and you'll so, know you've succeeded when I'm, I start speaking in hand gestures. <laughs> um, clear, clearly, the Italians have figured it out. Yes, indeed. Because indeed. they're very vocal, etc. And Lord help us with the English. But this is... Uh, so, again, the company, and I think you know, it's called the International Children's Media Center. It's a non-profit. ICMC. ICMC. Yeah. And we'll put the link up for people, but for folks, go to ICMC.org. Correct. No, no, no. It's in icmediacenter.org. icmediacenter.org. Yeah, I see it because somebody else had I some some big company had IC, ICMC. But what we're again, we are transforming the way children use, view, and engage with screens and technology so that screen use supports children's education, their social emotional learning, and early childhood development. But, and we but hold yeah, on, we've taken it a whole step further. There's there's the one if I look at that spectrum, right? There's the passive viewing of some media, a movie, a Indeed. program of some kind, or the short YouTube clips that are incessantly ridiculous these days. Mm -hmm. Then there's mm -hmm. um 
uh, some level of engagement with it. And then there's full engagement where you're bringing your highest order thinking to bear. And you Indeed. somehow have taken people from one end of that spectrum right to the other end of that spectrum. Um, can you talk about what does a fully activated learning experience with a screen look like? Like, what does that look like? And what does it result in? Okay, there. Let, let me see if I can condense it. First is that you have an awareness of your body and your entire self while you're viewing, that you're not just monobrain viewing. Okay, that's the first thing. And we peel those apart and separate them because, honey, you can always go back to hyperfocus. That's not hard. The screen does it to you. You don't have to teach that. It is the very unhappy <laughs> outcome of this being available and designed to give us a dopamine hit every two seconds. All right. So you are not going to lose your ability to hyper-focus on screen. What you first have to have as a very young person is an understanding, number one, that everything you're seeing on a screen is going to go somewhere. <laughs> and it's going to go. And then you have to come to an understanding that if it all goes in here, it, it, it might be important to know what's getting in. And the only way I can know what's getting in is by paying attention. Well, how do I pay attention? Ms. Nicole, can you give me a good way to pay attention? And then we'll teach them about using our energy and our concentration to keep our minds awake every time we look at a screen. We make it part of the screen engagement process. It's a, it is a way of, a fun way of making the adapter between the human brain and the technology something that is intentional and that kids can have ownership of. Understand? It's yeah. energy, concentration, mind awake. And once they do it 150, 200 times, Salim, they take ownership of it so quickly that by the second lesson, I only have to do this and they're calling out energy. I'm going to use my content. So I don't have to say anything. They already have a sense that when they're using now, I want you to think about this. The kids don't know exactly what I'm about to tell you, but when you activate your physical energy, in addition to better blood oxygen levels and elevated heart rate, you are physically aware of your body. What is the single biggest complaint of Gen Z, millennials, and everybody else? Oh my God, I watch so much and I just, I don't even know. I mean, I, there's drool running down the side of my mouth and I'm still watching this stuff. Okay, if you are aware of your body, you start to have choices. You start to have intervention opportunities with yourself. Salim, this was developed so that kids do not fall prey to the predations of how technology is developed to keep them focused on it. Yeah. And that's, that's my, my subversive side saying that. What it's really there for is if you know your body is hurting, if your eyes are burning, if you, you know to stop and then we give them alternatives. They give, in fact, actually, that's, I, oh, I misspoke. They give us alternatives. What, what, how do you want to feel? What, what could you be doing instead? So you're bringing, you know, you're, you're expanding their consciousness from just the screen to the screen plus how they interact with the screen. 
And now you have access to, hey, if your body's feeling tired, if your eyes are burning, you know, you have something. But, but until you do that, they they didn't know they were, were that this was happening. No, and then nobody knows their bodies are affected by screen. And I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, if you watch too much, you're going to have to use glasses. You know, if you this is the, instead flip that around, Salim. This is an operative question in session number one. Hey, you guys, is it even possible to watch too much? Might not. I want to. I want to know what they think. I want to know what their experiences are. This is a place where, of course, it's safe to tell me about your screen experiences, Salim. They spend sixteen hundred hours a year with screens, and nobody ever gets into the meat, the core of their experience. Right. What we're doing is setting it up so that we we look at the, this moment where the mind of the child meets the screen and we're right there with them. We're there saying, guess what? There's an adapter. Your human technology is the coolest thing since sliced bread, don't worry, I don't say that. And did you know that there are 84 billion neurons in it? Did you know that if the little strings we called filaments in your brain were unraveled, they'd go 500,000 miles? That's more to the, than to the moon and back. And that's in your that's in your brain. We co-opt neuroscience, make it fun, and just drop little knowledge bombs into <laughs> into the lesson so that this becomes as exciting as this and i don't make that happen you see happens. the excitement it okay. just happens have yeah. you found so tell us some of the outcomes that you're seeing because you're i know you're incredibly uh, uh focused on data gathering and mm. having that evidentiary loop what are some of the outcomes you're seeing from this program, which is called Screen Smart, right? Uh, what What are some of the outcomes you're seeing? Well, let me. I just want to tap into what Screen Smart is because it's a learning ecosystem that we introduce into the classroom. It is child centered, heuristic and Socratic. It's designed to tap into the child's own experiences and connect them to learning outcomes. So it also, as I said, it mitigates the sedentary nature of 21st century learning. Yeah. And recently at Turner Drew School, you know, this is at Loden Homes, uh, again, a very challenged neighborhood in Chicago, we can reverse COVID learning loss. It's really exciting. But that wow. starts with this unique view of the child as a holistic entity. And so all we need to do is not use linear 2D educational design where you segregate everything, but understand that the interdisciplinary design of every moment in a learning session will accelerate learning and give the child an amazingly more stable sense of self. Okay, so the child is a, is a growing ecosystem and the child's human technology is as important as everything else, anything else that they're learning. Now, in Screen Smart, the outcomes that you see quickly are improved grasp 
of literacy constructs. That's first. Character, plot, setting, beginning, middle, because we're we're physicalizing that. All right. So characters are the people, the animals, the things in the story or the movie. Got it? So and making this connection between the stories on screens and the stories in books overturns situational learning. Salim, it's the single most deft connection in the whole system. It means that for the very first time in 20th and 21st century learning, when kids go home, they're actually taking the learning with them so that they're thinking in terms of character plot setting and then the beginning and middle and the end and what the character is feeling and thinking and why things happen on the screen the way they happen instead of, oh yeah, I learned that in school and now I'm just going to watch something. Hmm. Hey, I'm going to just pause for a moment and give you my memory of this experience, right? I remember going Please. to the BAM, Brooklyn Academy of uh, Music, um, uh, children's film festival, which you curated, mm -hmm. and you had mm -hmm. kids age, I think six to 16, uh, mm -hmm. privileged kids from Staten Island, the Bronx, Queens, etc. Um, <laughs> we had four year olds, four year olds. Okay. And they were, they would come and watch a movie and you'd say, don't just watch a movie. We want you to write in a little critique an essay on how did it make you feel? And so that was level one. Level two was something like, uh, what do you think the characters were up to in that film? Okay. Level three was, what do you think the director was trying to achieve? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. level four was, if you were the director, what would you have them do, the characters do differently if you were the director? And, and you take them through that arc over a, kind of a long weekend. And then the, at the end of each movie, the director gets on. And I remember so vividly watching this seven-year-old nail the director going, that donkey didn't make any sense doing that in that part. And the director was like, holy crap, never seen these kinds of questions from kids like this. And when they were going back to school, um, the teachers were saying that their literacy had improved like 100% in a three-day weekend. That, that's my memory of of that, you're, that you're, it's a, that's a very glowing sunny beautiful memory salim and i and i love your elucidation of that it's it's a little bit less glorious as much as i would love to claim that uh, what happens is that that kids get very friendly with the intellectual constructs of narrative i see that doesn't sound sexy at all but let me tell you when it comes to testing time it's very sexy uh the next thing is that they learn to deconstruct the action the music and the, the ambient sound and the sound effects and the character's expressions to put them all into a whole. We take mm. apart every part of the movie detail by detail and have them talk about it and think about it. Now here, let, let me just relate this quickly to Screen Smart. Screen Smart, we're gonna prime them for optimal learning with screens and by rehabituating them to a, a physical sense of self and to their own self-awareness during screen use we're opening up completely different brain centers those are two things hmm. so we'll always do energy concentration mind awake what we like what they don't like and why before we start viewing and they will take ownership of it and have fun then we will start with a very short movie this is classroom based and you can do it at home so easily it's not even funny well, something very short well, you take a narrative piece of audiovisual media and you P and Q, pause and question. So you, we never watch anything in its entirety hmm. in the classroom. We stop, we will ask questions, some of which are related to 
logic or inferential reasoning. Why do you think that happened? What, wait, you're saying that that's the living room. What tells us that it's the living room? Well, there's a bed in it. Is it the living room? You know, <laughs> so can, other kids will. Can, so I, can I have a P and Q moment? Yes. I have a pause and questions. Austin so, question moment. So before you start, you've taught them uh, a bunch of pre-learning requirements uh, and you mentioned a couple of them. Can you just talk about that just for a second? Absolutely. We, I, we walk in and the first day, <laughs> I am here to teach you something you are going to use every day for the rest yeah. of your life. You know why? Because we love these things. <laughs> okay. And so right away, they know it's serious but fun. Yeah. Then we count all the screens. We think about when we're watching. We think about where it all goes and whether or not we want to know what's getting into our minds. And I always tell them, if you don't want to know what gets into your mind, that's okay. But why would it be good to know? And they will tell you things like things get stuck in here. Mm. <laughs> I get scared. I have nightmares. I... I, I start to be mean to my little brother. I'm not kidding. This is what they will say. Why do I want? Okay, so we're going to use our energy, concentration. We're going to keep our mind. That's our magic ticket so that we know what's getting into our minds. That's what. That's how it's all connected. Then when we start moving, watching, when we start watching, we are also, remember, we're energy, concentration, mind, what we like, what we don't like, and why. And now you're going to notice what you're feeling and thinking about what you're watching. Salim, feeling and thinking dovetail with metacognition and social emotional learning. Nobody ever asks a child what they're feeling and thinking about what they're watching. Right. It is the most powerful repository of early childhood experiences there is because that also and gives it, a feedback loop oh, awareness well, right i get it okay and and think about this they love watching we never give them a chance to talk about it we just mm -hmm. ask them did they like it you like it yeah sure it was great i had the popcorn it was wonderful thanks and this they they really you when when you get them to trust you enough so that they can start telling you Mommy, this this gave me a tummy ache. Would you like to know what happened? Go back, going back to outcomes. Year number one, I could predict that seventy-five to eighty percent of children would have improved literacy and reading skills. I could predict that ninety percent of children, ninety percent, would have improved self-regulation because when we do shake stop and when we do the plosives, the class is a unified energetic whole. They have so much fun with it. It improves self-controlled self-regulation. So literacy, self-regulation. Number three, I could predict improved communication because everybody had their hand up. Everyone wanted to talk about their own thoughts and ideas. What I could not predict was that tiny children would go home and tell their parents to turn off the TV. Wow. Wasn't in my consciousness. Wasn't... Right. I mean, you know, you would think, okay, what, well, that's a pipe dream. And it took us two years to figure out why it was happening. And then we did more of that. And so here's what I, I really wanted. We wanted in launching this, we wanted to provide an holistic 
and fully humanized answer to the question, what does a great relationship to screens and technology look like to you? That kids would learn, Betty, that they'd be aware of their bodies, that they would still build strong relationships with one another, that they would have an understanding of how they're being affected by what they watch without parents or teachers telling them because they know and they're talking with others about how they're being. Okay, all of those very good things. That's what we intended to do. And we wanted to improve literacy, communication, inferential reasoning, higher order thinking. Okay, very strict scope and sequence testable things. Mm. What we found out was that we had created a model that no one had ever developed before for healthy tech habits. We didn't know. Yeah, It took a long time to figure that out. And in session number one, that occurs because of a magic part of the lesson that is called fun, bad, sad, and scary. Not kidding. And fun, bad, sad, and scary is a way to help children develop neural networks that can allow them to access, remember, and process their media experiences. Again, access, remember, process media experiences. What happens when they're watching 1,600 hours a year and they don't talk about it and nobody else talks about it with them except them is that it's one big indigestible mental emotional dumpling that is somehow ricocheting around in their little minds and creating a lot of problems. And we know what those are loss of vocabulary, loss of the ability to self-regulate, loss of connection to others, so many losses, it's not even funny. You talk to pre-K teachers who've been around for 30 years, and they will tell you how these things have destroyed early childhood development. Let's, that's, I have to be honest about it. Yeah. That's what it is. However, however, if you give them something incredibly simple, not give it to them, just ask them, so why do we watch these things? Wait, do we watch them because they're boring? No. Why do we watch them? Because they're Fun. Let's do that together. Fun. Okay. So we say fun. And then we'll ask a question like, well, is it always fun? Have you ever seen anything on a screen that could be, well, if it's not good, what could it be? They'll let them tell it. Bad. Okay. Bad. What are some of the bad things we might have seen on a screen? Then you go through everything. And then you might have to stop there. You can come back the next day. Why do we watch? Because it's fun. But it could also be bad. But it could also be have you ever seen anything that made you feel sad? Sad. Mm -hmm. And literally, as recently as five years ago, kids talked about planes flying into buildings on 9-11. Wow. It's amazing what they retain that and what's, you know, com comes through the, the, the media. Okay, so fun, bad, sad, and then the one this is this is the mother load, honey. Scary. Okay, so scary. There are Kids are scared a lot, Salim. And so when you ask them if there's anything they've seen on the screen that's scary, they'll tell you. For the, and this is where good teachers, good parents always have to keep a smile in their mouth, uh, you know, and go, really? Someone let you see screen three when you were four? <laughs> and you can't jump up on the table and say, who did that? And you're never going to Johnny's house again. It's just like, okay, well, now I know. But right. you have given them permission to share their experiences. More importantly, categories are the foundation of neural networks. So for the very first time, kids start to sort their viewing experiences into fun, bad, sad, and scary. And I can assure you by lesson number two, 
What are other things that we could call it instead of fun? Exciting, beautiful, a smart seven-year-old will say scintillating, you know, all kinds of, there are many ways that something could be fun. There are also two ways it could be bad. It could be bad because it's really boring. It could be bad because it's showing me something that's bad. And and then if it's bad, could it also give me an, another feeling? So what they are doing is building vocabulary around fun, bad, sad, and scary. And then every session, hey, hey, hey. This is where I get very excited because it's so simple and anybody can do it, Salim. At the close of every lesson, we give them a very simple job. And here's what that job sounds like. I never tell them to go home and watch. Would I tell them to watch more? Why would I tell them to watch? They're watching all the time. If you happen to be watching, I want you to notice what one character is feeling and whether you thought that what happened that caused that feeling was fun, bad, sad, or scary. So they have to remember two things, the feeling and whether what caused that feeling was fun, bad, sad. And you know what? You're, you're going to have all week to look for that. Hmm. So every time you turn on something, I want you to look for it. And then when you come back and we're with you again, we're going to... So talk about it. So you're seeing unbelievable outcomes from this. How long does it take to train a parent or a child or a teacher on this approach and this methodology? That's such a great question. Um, parents, anyone who's read a book aloud to a child knows how to do screen smart. That I'm going to say just to the beginning. So I, I can give you all the grad school language. I can talk to you, but it, it's very simple. When you're reading a book aloud to a child, do you motor mouth through? Do you tell the child what they're feeling and thinking? No. It's sensory. There, there's cuddling involved. You're holding the book. When you're reading, if you're reading, the, the child will be pointing out things or asking questions, and you're going to engage and go back and forth. If you have done that with a child, all you have to do is transpose that experience to watching, I'm talking for the parents, to watching, I don't know, a 10 minute video, anything, anything except something that's trying to sell your child something or that has very objectionable things in it. I'm not going to name. Okay, let me give you something objectionable. Objectionable is the adults are all idiots and the children are brilliant. That's objectionable. Uh, the the uh, stereotype of every child's room is looks like a bomb exploded in it and it's never neat because basically what you're telling every child is they don't have to clean. Okay, so things that are non-objectionable but that have a story. Okay, and then you're going to you're going to just energy constant. You can do the energy concentration mind awake. I have I have a co-viewing guide that I have shared with everyone at EXO. I'll be happy to share it again. It's actually very simple. When I gave it to the National Catholic Education Association, they sent it out to 900,000 parents because it's not that hard. What is hard is understanding that physical proximity with your child while watching short media and engaging with them to look at what they're watching in a new way that invites their communication, that invites their uh, interaction with you, that invites them to share what they're feeling and thinking will dynamically change three things 
one, your child will become more open and let's emotionally available to mm. talking about their screen experiences. It's a really good thing. Yeah. Number two, when mommy and daddy or my auntie and my uncle or my big sister, big brother would care about what I'm feeling, I start to care about it in a different way. And I include caring as one of the experiences that I reinforce around screens instead of, or just buy me that, or violence, or you know, all of the stuff that everybody complains about, where where, and it's true, where it overstimulates the lower reptilian brainstem. You you're literally taking the entertainment paradigm and turning it into a family and child-parent bonding time. And I'm going to repeat this. You don't <laughs> have to do it every time. That would be ridiculous. It's impossible. I remember you saying something like just twice a week, 15 minutes twice a week. time was, was enough. Twice a week. Twice okay. a week, 15 minutes. How long does it take to train teachers on this? Method? That is harder. Uh, that's harder because the idea that you would do a high energy movement like that so that they can really feel their energy or that that you would take a word like plot and when they say plot and they have no energy you say you know what let's make that p sound <gasps> okay that's a big okay we can do it together plot now we do and that takes 45 seconds where you use the brain body exercises what are also called tprs but we call them brain body exercises because it's a neuroscience link and we want people to be intentional about the use, not just throw it in any old place. Well, I'll, I will only teach the P sound when I'm playing with the word plot or with a character's name. The hard C sound, character. Char so we're linking it to something else that they're learning. You're getting, <laughs> not only are you getting layers of muscle memory with the intellectual constructs, you are using multiple parts of the brain that are almost never awake when you're using the word character. Right. So I can say characters are, uh, and then I'll do the point, the people, the animals are the things in the story of the movie. So they have that. And then when they see it, they know it and they can do it backwards and forwards. And so if I say the character, I'm sorry, the people, the animals are the things in a story are, they'll tell me characters oh but then we'll do the hard c sound around so you're doing again one two three four five brain centers hmm. what's happening salim is that you get as many parts of the brain active during learning as you do when you're reading a book and that's a very powerful thing because you yeah go ahead how many people how many kids have now gone through screen smart Ooh, well, we're achieving program density here. We're onboarding six schools this week uh, alone in Chicago. Um, I'm going to say we're at the mm, close to, we're getting closer to the 20,000 mark, but you know, it needs to be in the millions. Every time teachers well, see it. Billions. I mean, this they, is something they, that they, should be taught in every country in the world to kids because the earlier they get that training of how to interact with media and bring as you say higher order thinking to bear that as it's it is the lifelong lesson it is the most important lesson of the 21st century that we could be teaching them right 
Hey folks, Salim here. I am so excited about our latest launch, the Exponential Organizations 2.0 book. It's a living book. This baby is a living, breathing, always up-to-date source of knowledge on the latest technologies and techniques for transforming organizations and building 10x growth and impact. How do we build a better future using the latest and greatest 21st century techniques? And the best part, you don't have to do anything. You just sign up for our basic tier, which is only $4 a month, and boom, you have instant access, plus an AI chatbot interface into the book. You can cancel anytime, but there's more. We have a community of technologists, entrepreneurs, innovators, disruptors, thought leaders that we can exchange ideas with. You can tap into that ecosystem to build your dream. What is your massive transformative purpose? And the book plus the ecosystem in our community is set up for you to help leverage that and build it. So come along. It's a mind-boggling uh, capability that we've built. Uh, trust me on this and come and see us. And so it going briefly back to those outcomes, I, I know I've hit this before, but literary, literacy outcomes skyrocket because mm -hmm. you're getting this plot character setting and beginning, middle, end and main idea, and they're applying it at home because they want to practice it. Then next, the empathy and social emotional learning. That's a 70 to 80 in, because you're involving children in discussion about the feelings and fears and questions that screen time can provoke by, and again, through close analysis, Salim. It's mm -hmm. close analysis of, of media content. And then because when they talk about it, what they're what are they doing? They're processing the content that they are that they are consuming. And that is an essential 21st century skill. Then they learn how to make turning on screens process and turning off screens empowering. I don't say anything to them. Just this whole fun, bad, sad, and scary. Did you know that that was what led them to tell their parents to turn it off? It was pre-K teacher after pre-K teacher after pre-K teacher and kinder teacher were saying this. And I'll say, because it, it just happened last year at Columbia Explorers, and it's now happening at Turner Drew. A, a veteran pre-K teachers say, you know, since kids started using screens, you know, when they're playing by themselves, they're always talking about things they saw that, you know, they pretty much shouldn't have seen, you know, blood going across the screen and naked people. And, and they because they, they talk about it during free play. And she said, now they're talking about how they turned their told their parents to turn it off. This is a direct quote, Incredible. a direct quote, because and why they at first they've got the categories. They've got fun, bad, sad and scary. They've got the increased vocabulary around that and they can they're because they're noticing their feelings instead of saying oh i don't want to watch that hmm. that's generic mom's just going to push back push back if you tell her why you don't want to watch it she will let you stop watching with your older brother who's playing call to her duty call of duty whatever so it sounds to me that you've got all of the data evidentiary basis for the program now now it's just a sense of getting the word out and getting it in use uh, around the world. Are there any major next steps to develop it or make it a little more sophisticated? Because as you said, this is not just a, uh, right. it's like an right. operating system. Mm -hmm. And well, we, for example, uh, during uh, COVID, 
uh, I, I crossed the bridge I swore I would never cross and developed a virtual version of Screen Smart. It's so important to have that physical presence in the classroom because you're teaching physicalization yeah. everywhere. If I have to, I can do it. It is not as effective. It is at least 20% less effective, but our outcomes are stunning. So even that I mean, is scale, better right? than so, so, we correct yeah. and we created something called screen smart pop-ins which are the you know literally five minutes of how to raise the energy and self-regulation levels in any classroom what we then worked on uh this is last year we've we have completed three years so that because what you want you don't get one all right let me describe it it's so simple we're there half an hour once a week salim we get these we get these outcomes in half an hour once a week over half an hour once a week and over 12 weeks over, once a week so that's the rough timing and intensity correct it's less it's around weeks. six hours of, of learning over 12 weeks okay. and so the, the again you get these staggering outcomes because it it's like yeast it leavens learning for that class for the whole rest of the year. But you do need Screen Smart Year 2, Screen Smart Year 3. We right. are right now developing Screen Smart Year 4 because we've had schools that have kept it and they don't want to give it up. So all right, we're developing it now. In addition, uh, of course, there's the obvious thing of translating it into the language uh, in which it might be delivered. But what we took great pains to do starting last year, so as not to disinclude teachers speaking a different language is that we developed a way of learning keywords instructors learn keywords from that language then we learn to signal how to signal physically for real-time translation and then we pull out from the curriculum and send it to teachers early so that they know what they'll be translating so we developed this completely inclusive very exciting way of keeping the the learning dynamic uh, authentic in the classroom, instead of just, oh, well, yes, of course, my instructor speaks Spanish. But then that what happens when the teachers participate as translators is that they learn it and can start doing it without yeah. my even training them. So that was a, a really interesting uh, new outcome. What we're working on now is making sure that people who are at the top of these huge urban learning centers know that there is number one something that you can do to reverse covid learning loss that's one thing hmm. because it's it's everywhere celine it's huge, how, yeah. how do you get kids back on track and excited about literacy how do you get the two years of lost socialization and lost communication time back on track how do you get kids feel again to become aware of what they're feeling and thinking about how they're engaging screens. So it is it is tremendously timely. It would have been timely anyway, Salim, because as you pointed out, this whole concept of let's develop human technology so that we can fully exploit electronic technology. We don't yeah. want to lose our humanity. We want it. They're growing alongside yeah. electronic technology. And Screen Smart is that link. Um, we, we talk a lot about the fact that, you know, I may have a smartphone, but it's now part of me, right? If I leave it behind, I'm less human, in fact, because I can't video with my son. I can't project empathy around the world. We're at that point. So we need to learn how to live with it. And the addiction 
natural addiction that that kids have for this stuff because they're so media uh, attracted. Yes. What is it? Eighty percent of your of your receptors or optical your optical sense, something like that. Yes, and and well, in addition, it's the part of the brain that is active when you are quote passively viewing. It's the lower reptilian brainstem, which is not a part of the brain that is going to help the cerebral cortex one little bit. It's not going to help emotional maturation. It's not going to help anything in early childhood development. So it literally goes right through you, which is it, what well, happened what, to most of the TV I watched when I was a kid. So for sure, indeed. I can relate to that. So two. Well, it, it's just it's just biology. It's not that big a deal. It's the part of the brain that is there so that if something comes into your field of vision, yeah. accompanied by a bright color, red for blood, a loud sound, it will stimulate endorphins so that you can get the heck out of Dodge. It's yeah. It stimulates fight or flight over and over and over and over again. Mm. And that is, it, it's just so simple. We can't test scientifically on humans. We can't. Right. We're not going to just take 30 kids and only let them watch passively to see how they become little terrors. That's just not going to happen. All you have to do is look at a classroom and go, okay, I've just shown them this and I've just shown them this and what's happening. Right. Okay. You can say that there's no causal relationship. I'm here to tell you you're wrong. No. <laughs> two, two final questions. Are you, yes. Do you see a big variation in the ability in this material by age? Like do younger kids pick it up oh, better yes. than older kids? What are you seeing there? Uh, this it was designed for 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 pre-K, early, early, early childhood, and we would have children as young as three, and I have them on camera talking about their screen smart experiences. Um, it it is extremely powerful as a kindergarten readiness tool. It is not, you're never going to get the literacy learning out of pre-K that you're going to get out of first grade. It's impossible. That's mm. not, they're, they're not there yet. So you are part of preparing them to become literacy learners. So in every grade level, pre-K, K, first and second, and I, I have done it for third, but it's more uh, sophisticated and it's a different kind of language. We still use the TPRs. We still use, fun, listen, I've used fun, bad, sad, and scary with 40 year olds. I'm not kidding. But that whole physicalization process is, is as I said, it's the core mitigator of the sedentary nature of, of education. So you can use it anywhere. You can actually spin that part off and have it separate from Screen Smart and use it all over the learning system. But it does, uh, second grade takes to it like ducks to water. They are, you would think that they would be incredibly resistant. You would think that given the gentleness of the media they're watching, they just go, oh, that's for babies. That's what I thought they would do. Mm -hmm. I really was concerned about it at the beginning. Exactly the opposite. Wow. Because when you ask them why the character feels that way, and now let's look at that character's face. What are we seeing on the Oh, it's the eyebrows. Oh, look, look, oh, even his nose. The, those things, they don't know their nostrils. Some of them know they're, 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 they're bigger. And, why, and what does that mean? Oh, that means he's like a bull. He's angry. Okay, so you're teaching emotional intelligence to girls and boys yeah. and the ability to identify feelings and then you go deeper with it. Okay, so I've identified it. And now how would that same thing make me feel if it happened to me? And then what What if it happened to my friend? Right. What? 
and then then you translate it into text to world what would i do and so that's where it gets very powerful i'll have to go back and watch old thomas the tank engine episodes now (laughs) with a new new lens uh final question is um do you see a big difference in uh, different cultures or language uh pockets where uh, do people react differently from uh, being raised in a spanish environment as opposed to chinese and others Oh, I love this question. Um, let me let me wrap up the the last one because I wasn't concise. Uh, it it Screen Smart actually addresses and supports every uh, grade level differently at the level that of of greatest need. Hmm. So it's it is calibrated for every grade level. It's not that it works better for some grade levels or not. It is that. Outside of literacy, which is naturally going to be more compressed in early ch- in uh, pre-K, it it is literally designed to address the needs of that age group. Right. And so we because we can focus it on social emotional learning. We can focus it wherever there is weakness in the learning process, and the teachers tell us that. Okay. So going back to the cultural uh, issues, um, there are. Uh, great differences. And I'm going to, um, I, we didn't teach Screen Smart there, but I'm going to tell you the, the story of my wonderful talk with uh, the Unlimited Child group. Uh, one of the things uh, that, that Ian Buchan has done, and he, as you know, he's reaching a million children in 3,000 kinder crushes yeah. uh, all over South Africa. One of the things uh, that the executive director, Candace, uh, Putgar uh, said was there are three things that characterize our families. Number one, there is a very strong family bond. Number two, there is a very great respect for and desire for education. Number three, every child has direct experience with some form of faith. Salim, if you have faith, family, and respect for education. Yeah, you don't need Screen Smart. You don't because you've got everything that you already need to mitigate the predations of technology. You have it, and so they are pre-Screen Smart. They, I said, come to me in twenty years when you're crumbling, <laughs> like the rest of the world. <laughs> no, I mean it's. I, I don't mean to make light of it, but I, I, I. Could I have given them self-regulation tools? Of course, but they already had a wonderful system for, for their exactly. culture. Okay, in in Asia, uh, for example, uh, recently talking to um, uh, someone who's very uh, interested in helping in the, the Thai government with their education system, because we are able to integrate into the Screen Smart physical TPRs, things like meditation mm-hmm. and mindfulness very directly, as I did with, with uh, and yeah, I suppose you could call Catholicism a culture, <laughs> but as I did with the, with the Catholic schools, uh, they are very interested in how Screen Smart helps the body uh, reach homeostasis and also elevates compassion directly, compassion, caring, kindness. We're, we lump those things into social emotional learning here in the United States, but we would just emphasize those 
in that particular culture. The in um, there is almost no difference in between the uh, Latinx uh, Latinx uh, uh, families and um, the other, well, let's see, what we do, some of our other cultures. So we have Caucasian, but let, let's be honest here. You've got great differences in economic right. strata. And so one of the things we learned about six years ago was that the emphasis in the under-resourced schools was on literacy, self-regulation, and social-emotional learning. In the very affluent schools, Salim, totally different. Hmm. They had literacy. I could touch on it, but they didn't need it. In the, they could use, anybody can use a little bit more self-control and better executive function. So, of course, we have we have two bands of this. But what they really needed, first time in my life, after working in schools for 30 years, I heard these words. Miss Nicole, my kids don't even know other kids have feelings. And I, wow. I, I was just stunned. And wow. that was, all right, so we, because of the way Screen Smart is constructed, it's, you know, think Lego. <laughs> no. you know, we have the physical and we have the intellect. We can easily shift the emphasis to address that need. And so everything began to be about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling other people are, do I even feel that? I, oh, no, I was thinking what they were feeling. Now I know what they were feeling. Because, and then acting on that. That was where it got to be uh, very, very nuanced. And I did, full disclosure, change up the media. I didn't use the classic uh, Screen Smart three-minute films. I used other films that were more targeted to becoming aware of how our actions affect others. What does it mean in practice and in my heart? How does it feel to be inclusive? It, you're, you're actually finding, you found, it seems, a structured way of teaching empathy, which is something we've been struggling with getting across in a powerful way for decades now. Mm -hmm. It's the, the empathy part is, is very real because so many emotions come up around media. And if you take that time to peel, peel, peel back the layers, you get to places that are so real, capital R, <laughs> emotionally real, that children will make disclosures about themselves and things they've done that that are stunning, mm. that they trust the group that much to to make those, uh, to, to, to talk about themselves in a way that is vulnerable Celine. Hmm. vulnerable and yet it's outside of therapy it's outside of of the known ways of of getting that vulnerability you know another area which i think is so important because screens erode it is this area of grit and persistence by creating the uh by giving them tools that they can take ownership of when they're doing things like shake stop or what we call palette shell which is like yoga for the fingers they want to get better at it they want to be the person that teaches the whole class so they practice and practice and practice it and then because they're practicing it mm. 
they notice that when they do shake stop before a test, A, they're not as scared, B, they get better answers, C, the things that they prepared come to them instead of there being in this sort of test paralysis that happens to so many kids. Mm. So the grit and persistence part is a really interesting, almost nuanced part of Screen Smart because again, it was unexpected. I right. did not know that kids would gravitate toward that part of it in the way that they did. And it's hugely important, as you know, for A, finishing a project, B, <laughs> meeting deadlines, C, you know, so many. We're, we're finding that maybe the most important skill, especially for leaders, is uh, you follow that through. I have a particular question I'd love for you to just keep in your head over the next few months and years, which is in sure. India. There's a big difference between uh, the culture in North India and South India. Uh, yes. And I'd be fascinated by what the differences are with those kids and how they react to Screen Smart. Because the, uh, the South Indian kids, for, for, for those that aren't aware, have this unbelievable affinity to mathematics. And it oh, turns okay. out to be around the structure of the language. The languages are structured that give them some uh, incredible ability to do long division at six decimal places in their heads type of thing. And That's, I'd be fascinated uh -huh. by how they interact with media and learn around some of this stuff. You know what, Salim? That's a job for, for what we lovingly call a screen smart sprint. When you want to bring screen smart into a large uh, school system, I'm, I'm not going to sell it to you. What's going to happen is you, you're going to want to see it in situ. You're mm. going to want to, and your That's teachers right. are going to want to get to, to see it. And so you, you need a, almost a, uh, a laboratory setting, and then you need to be able to see from session number one to session number five what the changes are right. in those children and how the learning accelerates from them for them. It may be that there would be a completely different kind of outcome. It could very well be. It could be manifested quite differently. But I agree. I think it would be very very fascinating. I, I, I think that uh, you could have that kind of difference in the United States, North and South, East. North. I, I'm sure. <laughs> We're unfortunately running out of time. Uh, we've got a ton more questions. I would love to do a follow-up with you at some point. Uh, but uh, Nicole Dreisky, thank you for sharing this with us. As far as I can see, this is the most important breakthrough in education that we've had in maybe 100 years because of the the extent and the range, the ability to help a child navigate technology is maybe the most critical skill we could give any child in the world today. Thank you, Salim. And that is our, our wish as well, that every child gets to hashtag stay screen smart. We can all be the change in 21st century education. All and right. ICMC is here to help that. Wonderful. Thank so the website you. is icmediacenter.org. Correct. For those that are in, and we'll put a link up in the podcast. Um, this has been the Salim Ismail podcast talking about how do we help humanity transform into a more magical future. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I am so excited to announce the launch of our new OpenEXO platform. It's a game changer for those of us who are passionate about building a better future through the breakthroughs of new technology, plus new mechanisms for exponential organizations. First things first, the platform is home to the amazing Exponential Organizations 2.0 book, a living book, which means it's constantly updated with the latest case studies and the greatest breakthroughs in technology 
ChatGPT, for example, is incorporated into the book already. With a basic membership of just $4 a month, you have access to all of the resources, 700 plus case studies. If you're not satisfied, you can cancel any time. And it actually features a job board to help you connect with like-minded individuals, plus an AI curated newsfeed that's head and shoulders above everybody else. So why not join today, be part of a community that's working together to build a future. And for those of us who are ready to go full throttle, our premium membership offers even more perks. You'll have access to the courses and masterminds, communities of experts and thought leaders who are changing the game and building exponential organizations to transform the world. So what are you waiting for? Uh, join us today and let's build a future together.